Good morning. You notice there's a whole new pulpit up here, which I'm trying to get my notes around. Never been preached in before. So now I'm here. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 13. Oh my, Mark chapter 13. So exciting. And also so very, so very difficult in a lot of ways as well. Uh, several years ago I preached, and I, I've preached a couple of times at the, the Lake City Church of Christ. And one time when I was there, I was told about this cult that is there. They're called End Time Ministries. And there was a man by the name of Charles Mead. He started this cult uh, when he, he said that God told him that Lake City is the only place that believers will be able to survive the Armageddon. So in 1984, he uh, and a bunch of others, they moved to Lake City, Florida. According to an article that I read in 1998, there were some 2,000 people came from 14, at, le oh, at least they said 14 different states, and they sold everything that they had, and they came to this place uh, to live in order to prepare for the end time. And after they had been there, they began and they, they built this worship center. I've seen it before. Um, it is supposed to be an upside down Noah's Ark is supposed to be the shape of it. I've never seen Noah's Ark, so I'm going to take their word for it. If you will notice, there's a fence all the way around it. There's barbed wire at the top. There is a security gate. I've seen this for myself. Uh, you cannot go to their services unless you are invited to come to their services. Uh, he proclaimed that he had visited the evening star, that he had walked on the Milky Way, along the Milky Way, that he had healed the sick, and that he had raised the dead. He also, according to one of the preachers, he, there was one of their members who had a surgery. And the surgeon was a, a, an, an overweight surgeon. And after the surgery, this man got overweight. And he said it's because that the fat man's spirit went into his body and it was transferred. He also taught on one occasion that men should not wear mustaches because it is the spirit of homosexuality. He said women are not to wear makeup because it attracts demons, and one of which he called the lipstick demon. And, and, and here's the thing. I could, I've read up on this through the years, and, and I'm just amazed. And I'm amazed not just the fact that someone's teaching this stuff, but I'm amazed the people who are a part of this, this group. And these are business owners. They're heads of companies. They're geologists, they're high-tech technicians, they're well-educated, they're the wealthy in the world. And I was taken around and I was shown neighborhoods that they bought up, that their members lived in. I was in restaurants and I would find there was a room, a closed-off room, that only Charles Mead was allowed to go into if he were to show up at that establishment and he has his own private, they built this own room for him. And, it, and you look at this and you say, how in the world can this happen? It happens, folks, when, when people take texts like Mark chapter 13 and they get the wrong understanding. 
and, and people will take advantage of those understandings. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next two weeks, counting to this week and next week. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 13. There is no doubt in my mind that there are genuine, sincere, devoted believers of God in that end-time ministry. But this is their response to the chaos that we see in our world. And they begin to see things as these signs of the times that we've got to prepare for the end coming. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be prepared, but there's something else that's going on. Unfortunately, these folks are being misled. The section that we're looking at today in Mark chapter 13, it is the longest block of Mark's teaching or of this of Mark's gospel as far as the teaching of Jesus certain parts of it are very difficult there are scholars a whole lot smarter than I am who disagree with some of the conclusions but here's the good news the good news about that is that we don't have to know what those things are because they're secondary to the text what we're really learning about is how do we live when the world is crashing down when the world gets chaotic when we as Christians are being maligned for our beliefs we back up a couple of chapters and we go back to chapter 11 and that flows into what's happening because if you remember Jesus comes as a king and he marches he rides rather into the city of Jerusalem he goes to the temple and he inspects it and what he found was nothing but a den of thieves a bunch of robbers and he condemns it he messes up the place he quotes prophets who also quoted uh, who also said that the temple would be destroyed he's challenged by all the leaders and they lose Jesus goes on the attack and he he condemns the scribes for the way that they were acting as well and all of this was happening while at the temple okay all this was happening on a Tuesday morning and then we come to chapter 13 now remember where what's been happening where all of this is taking place and then he says and as he came out of the temple one of his disciples said to him look teacher what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings and Jesus said to him do you see these great buildings there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately tell us when will these things be well what are these things what have you been talking about the destruction of the temple and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished in other words when's the end so Jesus leaves uh, the temple and and this is more than a physical description folks you need to understand that when Jesus is leaving the temple he is leaving the temple and everything that it stands for behind he doesn't come back to the temple because it's been judged and we see this sequence of, of interesting 
uh, wordage that is going on in there and that he's sitting there and he is opposite of that temple. Just as he had been opposite to the treasury where he also condemned the Sadducees as well. Now, when we read in Ezekiel that when God had finally been done with Israel and had been done with their wicked ways and pronounced judgment upon it, God in his, in his uh, rolling throne, he comes out of, lifted out of the Holy of Holies, his presence leaves and it goes to this mountain to the east. It is the Mount of Olives. And here, look at the text again, what's happening. God is leaving the presence of the temple. His presence is leaving. And it goes to the place where God went when the temple was left to its destruction. So here is this, and, and do you notice how difficult this would be for the, these people? Folks, they're mesmerized. Did you, did you hear what one of them said as they're coming out along the temple? They said, look at this, Jesus. Is this not magnificent? Look at these stones, right? And they should be. This is a reconstruction. No, that's not. Well, I had a reconstruction picture. Um, I've been taking a lot of medicine, so just, just know. Wait, that's the Mount of Olives. Yes, that's the Mount of Olives. And this is... This is the temple structure. This is actually built later. Uh, it's about the size of half of a football field. And it shows what it was like in Jerusalem at that particular time. You see the size and the magnitude of this place compared to the rest of the city. I mean, this place was, was absolutely magnificent. It was sat on 35 acres. You could fit 12 football fields, for you sports people. 12 football fields will fit inside of this thing. I mean, this thing is absolutely massive. And, and many believe that the temple looked like a lion. Some visitors who would come because it was broader in the front and narrower in the back. And it rose like some 160-something feet in the air. And it even speaks about in these writers of the time how when the sun was rising and it would hit the gold and the silver of that temple and it looked like it was absolute glory, it was absolutely blaring, it was beautiful. And Jesus reigns on their parade. <laughs> and he says, that temple? Well, every stone is going to be in a heap, a, a, a pile. And, and they're shocked. You would be shocked. Our beautiful temple? God's temple? And from that, you know, they're just like, they want to know what's going on. Now, they shouldn't be overly shocked. You remember the first temple? Solomon, at the very orientation of that temple, God said, listen, if you, Solomon, or anyone after you ends up being disobedient to God, he said, I'm going to bring this building down. And the first time it was destroyed, Micah had prophesied about it, and he said, it's coming down. And then later on, Jeremiah, I promise, he prophesied about it on several occasions, and he said, it's coming down. And it did by the Babylonians. It would be burned, and it would be leveled. Read the readings of the historians of Josephus 
even the now sacred Western Wall. You've heard of the Western Wall before. I promise there's a Western Wall somewhere. That's okay. We have technical difficulties. Uh, we have this quite often. So imagine there's a great wall there. Uh, actually, some of you, you know what I'm talking about as far as the temple. If you were to go to uh, Jerusalem today, there's the Western Wall. And you see people who are there and they're praying and they're putting uh, prayers in there. That wasn't even a part of the temple itself. That was simply the foundation in which, or part of the foundation in which the temple itself was built. Just to kind of give you an idea of what that was like. If you were to go to Rome, you can go to the Arch of Titus. And they built these arches, and I have a great picture. Just imagine there's a beautiful arch there. And, and inside you will see all of these little, these little images that have been engraved all around it. And one of those, it shows the depiction of Titus. Shows this is all about his victories and all the things he did. And in there, Titus, who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple, it shows uh, them plundering the temple and the menorah and all of these types of things. That isn't it. Um, but you get this idea. And it was terrible. Um, it was just a terrible thing. I think, ah, there it is, there it is, there it is. Okay, so here's the, well, hold on. Here's, here's the western wall. You've seen pictures of it. This is the original stones. This is what it was, this is that part of it. So you see the temple's not even a part of it. And, and then here's the other part, that arch, and you can see right here um, what was happening in there as well. Peter, James, and John, they come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, what's up? And they've got a couple of questions. And these questions, folks, they are very important for you to understand Mark chapter 13. The first question is, when will the destruction of the temple occur? They said, when will these things? Well, what are they asking based on what Jesus just said? The other question is, what will be the signs for Jesus' return? Well, we're 2,000 years from this, and we know. Question number one, it's A.D. 70. How about that? We know that. We can read the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus or the Roman historian Tacitus, and they will tell us. And this Jewish revolt, it started in 66 AD, and then finally the temple was seized, and it was destroyed on August of AD 70. And you may be thinking, then why in the world are we talking about something that happened so long ago? Because Jesus in this message, he's telling them what to do, how to live their lives when this all-out chaos breaks out. He doesn't give them a date of when it will happen. He doesn't even give them a sign. You'll see it's even the opposite of that. He gives them instructions. And these things, folks, you're going to see, they absolutely translate today. So let's get back into the text. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Many will come in my name. So when this destruction happens, he says, uh, many will come in my name saying, I am he. Now this is leading up to the destruction, rather. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, you ever heard of that before? He says, do not be alarmed. What do we do in our culture? When we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we're alarmed. And we think, it's the signs of the times. How many of you ever heard of that? But he says, look, don't be alarmed. This must first take place, but, this is key, the end is not yet. 
for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, once again, he tells them, don't worry when these things are going on, when the world is falling off, uh, falling down around us. He tells them, don't get distracted. In fact, stay focused on the mission. He's going to tell us that here in just a second. And he says, look, things are going to get really bad. They're going to get really, really bad. But he says, listen, there's going to be people who rise up and they're going to say, look at these signs of the times. Look at all the things that are happening in our world. And they're going to say, follow me because I have the answers. We're going to go prepare for the end times. And Jesus says, don't get sucked into that. Okay? Don't let it happen. Why? Because the world is anarchy. It is. It always has been. It's not the signs for the end. He says it's the beginning of birth pains. In other words, there's a time of suffering. But also, what else does birth bring? New life. And there will be a new life as this institution uh, of the temple itself is going to just be leveled. And there's going to be something that's going to happen from that that, that is going to be beautiful. The, the temple of God is going to emerge in the midst of the rubble. In fact, we're going to, let's just learn a little bit more about that right now, beginning in verse 9. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before me. Now, he's talking about before, this is not even happening yet, the, the destruction of the Jerusalem. He said, leading up, you're going to know these things. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Oh, that's huge. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. Well, how? For it is not in you to speak but the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's key. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says, don't worry about these signs. Don't worry about the end of time. He says, here's what I want you to worry about, the mission. What's the mission? Take the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. He says, listen, the, just, the temple's not going to be destroyed until the gospel message is taken out into the world, beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel. Read the book of Acts. You've got the whole account of how that came about. And that's important because before this new temple is gone into its heaps, a new temple emerges. It replaces a physical building with the elect of all the nations of the world. It's not a, a solely for Jewish folks. It is for Jews and Gentiles. And that's what's going to rise up. And the Spirit of God's going to be there. Folks, this is our mission. This is our mission today. 
when we feel persecuted, we wonder, well, what's going to happen if, if we no longer have any rights uh, as Christians in this country? Jesus, what does he say? Go spread the good news. Go spread the good news. Now, we're not living in the kind of extreme opposition that they were in the time that Mark is writing this. But our religious freedoms are under attack. Let me just give you a few. I mean a few. Teacher in New Jersey was suspended for giving a student a Bible. A football coach in Washington was placed on leave for saying a prayer at the end of a football game. A fire chief in Atlanta was fired for a self-published book defending Christian moral teaching. A Marine was court-martialed for having a scripture that they had post, uh, pasted above her desk. Christian schools have become major targets. And, and they will turn anything they can around. There was one thing that came out in the news this week about this girl and about her birthday cake and all of this kind of things. And when you first read it, and I was, I was like, I'm appalled by this and this Christian school and what they've done. Well, then you find out that they didn't report everything. They didn't tell you what really happened. And now, why? Because they want to paint us in a bad light, folks. That's just, that's just it. Folks, we're called bigots. We're hated because... We, we teach the, the biblical and traditional, you know, um, beliefs about marriage. We're accused of waging war on women because of something that's going to happen today, right outside of our building, when, because we oppose abortion. Now, even atheists, or some atheists, and Richard Dawkins was one of the first to do this, he says parents should be accused of abusing their children who homeschool their kids. Because they say it's just a Christian, a Christian thing. And therefore, for them to be in that and, and only learn about that that's child abuse. What are we supposed to do? Some people are going to be shamed. And they're going to be shamed to be a Christian. And they're going to compromise their faith through all of that. And then there are going to be some who think it's time to storm the castle. It's time to fight. It's time we go out there and we give back exactly the kind of stuff they're giving back at us. What does Jesus say? He says, don't be anxious. I love this. He says, you don't have to study up for a trial. He said, because the Holy Spirit, if you're brought to trial, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to speak through you. It's going to tell you what to say. Doesn't mean you're going to get out of it. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He says, but don't, don't be anxious about that. The world is going to hate you for living your life in an all-out love for God. Expect it. And endure it faithfully. Mention this abortion rally that's going to happen right out here on this street. I sure hope none of our people are going to be out there and they've got signs up that are awful and mean and mean-spirited and evil and yelling at people. And I don't, I don't foresee that, honestly. But I will tell you this, what you should expect if you show up for this today. There's probably going to be people who are going to honk your, their horn at you and they're going to yell at you. May even be people on the other side of the road, they're going to say some things to you. What does Jesus say? Endure it. Endure it. Don't get caught up in all the. Endure it. Stand for God. Stand 
for those who have no one to stand for them. But at the same time, endure what comes at us. We are in an election year. Oh, get ready, right? Just get ready. You're going to hear end of the world speeches on both sides. You just are. One, one side is going to say this other side is trying to take away certain, certain uh, you know, Christian values that we hold dear to. And they'll say, if you don't vote for us, then Christianity is going to be destroyed in our world. And they'll say, they hate God. The other side is going to come back and say, seriously? And they're going to point out the moral failings of those people who hold to these Christian values and their leaders, and they're going to look at their moral failings. And they're going to, to say, well, you know, look how you oppress the poor. Look how that side has treated immigrants. Just get ready. Just get ready. And they'll say, this is the destruction of our, of our nation. And you're going to hear that from both sides. What would Jesus say? Jesus says, I'm bringing a greater kingdom into our world than the kingdoms of our world. And that this world is filled with chaos, and my kingdom is bringing peace and justice. And he would say, stay focused and share the message of good news to the world. There is not a political party, I'm sorry, that represents the kingdom of God. And if you wonder and you think that that's true, and there may be one that holds more to, to how you believe and your values, don't get me wrong there, but if you look up what kingdom values are all about, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and then you take any candidate in this, this race of any side, then you tell me, how do they do with anger and lust and divorce, oaths, loving their enemies, giving to the needy, laying up treasures on earth, and the golden rule. Those are just the name of few. He says our eyes are to be on Jesus. It's to be on his kingdom that emerges amidst the kingdoms of the world. Cast your votes. Listen, do that. Cast your votes. But don't get sucked into the signs of the times that it's the end of the world, it's the end of America that you're going to hear in these political commercials that are just going to bombard the airways over this next year. Look closer to what Jesus is saying. He says, persecution should not produce fear. How do we normally react in these situations? We're fearful. He says that these do not produce fear, but they produce an assurance that God's presence is with us by the Holy Spirit. And who's going to be saved at the end? Look at it in verse 13 again. Who is saved in the end? He says it's those who endure. He doesn't say it's those who overcome their adversaries. But he says it's those who endure. What was Jesus' marching orders back in chapter 8? He says if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross 
and follow me. Jesus is telling them, you're, this is the time that you're going to have to take up my cross. That you're going to endure as a Christian. Stand firm until the end. Because something greater is coming. All right, let's finish reading. Beginning in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation, <laughs> welcome to Mark 13. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand. And that's key. The reader understands it. That is the one, the intended readers. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray. What are they to pray? Pray that it will not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And that, that bothers us a little bit. Say, ah, see, he's talking about end times. If you understand anything about poetry and Jewish poetry, you get this. We've got to keep going. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days and and then if anyone says to you look here is the Christ or look there he is do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead to, to lead astray if possible the elect but be on guard I have told you things these things beforehand I've warned you there will be some kind of abomination of desolation that's going to happen before the destruction of Jerusalem. We talked about it in class, but here's, here's the short answer. We don't know. We don't know. There's a lot of debate about it, but that's, that's not what's important here. We know that it's, it comes from the book of Daniel. We know it's something that this desolation happened during the time of the Maccabees. Those of you who were there that, that Wednesday night, we talked about Hanukkah and where all of that came from. It's the prediction of some type of horrifying event that occurs in the temple. And we're not real sure exactly what it is. We can speculate all we want, but Mark doesn't tell us. Shocker. Right? Shocker. Mark doesn't give us all the details. But once again, he says, what I want you to be worried about are false messiahs and false prophets who arise during this time. And they're going to say, look at all of these things. And, and all of these things are happening. And they're going to say, we want you to follow us. And they're going to lead them into a place they don't need to be. And it's going to create even more because they will head straight for the temple. And Jesus says, you, hid, you go out of the temple and away. The destruction of the temple is not the only time these false representatives of God have risen up. Just not. Let's think for just a second. Over the last 100 years, have we heard of wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution of Christians, refugees running for their life? Have we heard anything like that in the last 100 years? Okay, there's World War I. That was the war to end all wars until there was World War II. 
And then during that time, between that time, there was the stock market crash. There was the Dust Bowl. There was the Great Depression. And then there were things such as, you know, Vietnam and that long-lasting uh, thing that happened there. And, and then there were um, we, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of you remember it. What about, what about the Civil Rights Movement? Just something that is really, you know, here on us tomorrow. And, and the Civil Rights Movement and what people had to do just, just to be looked at as humans. What about wildfires? What about Watergate? What about 9-11, which was mentioned earlier? What about the war on terrorism? Government bailouts, climate change. We could go over and over again. And what does Jesus say? He says the world's screwed up. It's screwed up. Don't be alarmed. Don't look at everything that happens and say, this must be it. This is the signs of the time. Jesus is about to come. I can't tell you how many times people have told me that. Well, you know, you hear all this, the Lord's coming. He's coming. Maybe he is. I hope he does. I really hope the Lord does. But listen, he says there's going to be all kinds of fears that will pull us in all kinds of direction. And people answer to that in different ways. Some people will be apathetic about it all. And then you've got those who go off into this religious extremism that we talked about at the very beginning. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, stand firm. Follow me. Follow my teachings. To love God with everything you've got. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, when you do that, you'll be on the right path. But he says, hang on. And he says, you share the kingdom of God. You share the good news with the world. Because even though the world is evil, God doesn't hate the world. And, and our message to the world is that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus wants us to trust that history is in his hands. There's something that's coming up in this book. In just a couple of days... There, there, there's something that's, that's going to happen. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it will mean that the most powerful forces of the world will not win in the end. They won't. And he will come again and he will bring his kingdom into its completion. But this world's rough and it stinks. But don't think that what that means is every little thing that happens that it must mean Jesus is about to come. We trust God. Just trust him and endure what the world throws at us because it will. What I do know is there will be no tears when it's all finally said and done. And what Jesus would say to us is if you really want to prepare, then be a part of the kingdom of God. That is a kingdom that you can only get, through, get to through Christ. It's, it comes straight through who he was, what he did for us, and us coming into it. And, and, and to know that when we come to the kingdom, and we give our lives in faith, and, 
and, and we just turn it all over to Christ, so that we're, we're baptized into Jesus, we just want this whole thing to wash over us, the Spirit of God comes and lives in us, so that I don't have to be anxious, because the Spirit of God will speak when it's important. And I just trust Him through it all, because I know that what's coming, there are no tears. If we can help you in any way, come now, together we stand, and as we sing.